0: Hello, and welcome to the Activation Nation podcast, your weekly source of actionable advice from industry experts in self-development, health, life vantage products, network marketing, and more to help you activate your wellness, your business, and your life. Today's episode focuses on product, one of the four pillars of belief. But first, the legal stuff. You may hear our guests talk about the income they've earned or how their health has been affected with life LifeVantage. Please note that the average annual earnings of a typical active life Vantage distributor in 2021 was $704. For the most up-to-date information, please click the link in our show notes. Any product statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, here's your host to dive into today's story to help you activate your life.
1: Thank you for joining us this evening. We're so grateful that you are here. Um, we've got a fun one for you today. We're actually gonna we're gonna separate this. We've got we're gonna call it a two part series. I'm really excited for this one. What we are going to do is is and I'm, we're gonna introduce these guys in just a minute. But we are going to um, we're gonna pull back the curtain a little bit and talk about product development, product safety, product quality, and efficacy, and really what the process is to do that to ensure that you're getting the best possible product, the most efficacious product, and a safe product. It's fair? Fair. Yep. A fair way to set, set that up? It is fair. So anyway, so we're really excited about it. And the other thing is, is, as we're doing this, is to really help understand all the work and everything that goes into ensuring a good quality product. Um, and maybe a little bit about the time on how it, how long it takes us to actually do that and, and kind of peel back and, and like really discover how we all, how we do all that. But first let's, um, let's introduce these, uh, everybody. Um, I think most of you know who I am. Um, Jesse Allen, I'm the senior vice president of, of marketing here at LifeVantage. And if you've been with us on a number of these, these, uh, these lives, then, you know, Lisa, cause Lisa's always here.
2: I am here quite a bit. I'm yeah. very conveniently located in the office next to him so he can yeah. pull me in all the time.
1: Not to suggest that when I don't have some a topic prepared that Lisa steps in. However, it may feel that way sometimes. Sometimes
2: I save her. the day. Sometimes I do that. <laughs> she, uh, You're she, welcome. She
1: uncovers her Superman chest and uh, Superwoman chest and uh, uh, saves the day. I'm like,
2: yeah, either yeah. way. I'll take it. I'll take it.
1: Some some of them, however, don't know you. So give us a little bit about your background.
2: Yes. Okay. So I'm VP of research and development here. I've been here almost eight months. It has really flown by. I started last August. I have more than 15 years of research and development experience varying from Let's see, cosmetics and nutritionals, devices. I've kind of done it all over my career and I've loved the last eight minutes, or eight minutes, the eight months that I've been here. It felt like eight minutes because I hit the ground running when yeah. I got here. So it's just been full speed <laughs> since then. But no, it's been a great time of really um, expanding our innovation here, looking to the future of Life Vantage and just seeing how far we can expand our horizons and what we create products for, the forms we create. It's just exciting.
1: Perfect. Lisa is also the mother of three beautiful uh, young girls. Yes. And uh, lives here in Utah, formerly from Tennessee.
2: Yep, from Tennessee. I'm a dance mom. So I have all three do dance. Two do ballet pretty seriously. I am not a dancer. You do not want to see me dance. And so the fact that they did that was incredibly surprising to me. So I am a horrible, well, hopefully I'm a good dance mom, but I'm not a stereotypical dance mom.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right, also with us, Adam Krupp. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Krupp. So, Adam's Adam's, how new are you? How long have you been with Life Vantage? About four months. Okay, so half the time of yeah. Lisa. Perfect. Tell us your title, tell us a little bit about your background and and obviously what yeah. you do here at Life Vantage.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my title, I'm the director of quality, uh, as we just discussed, I've been here about four months. My background is I have a degree in microbiology, and I have about a little over 13 years experience all in QAQC for dietary supplement companies, uh, both in the lab as well as more on the QA side, uh, recently testing those. Um, it's been, gone fast, like you said. The, the four months, sometimes I have to count, and I'm like, oh, wow, it's been, <laughs> it's been four months. But uh, it, it's been great here. And I've been really impressed with the overall camaraderie of, of the company and the departments working together. And honestly, the uh, focus on safety and quality. For our product side, yeah. So
1: Adam uh, came in, um, like you said, four months ago. He's already up leveled the department significantly and is doing a, a wonderful job. We're grateful that you're here. Um, it's it's a hard responsibility. It's a hard role. At least in my observation, it's a hard role and, and, and he has stepped up and ran and done and doing a phenomenal job. So thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, let's see microbiology. I didn't know that. Uh, let me, just a couple of personal questions. Did you grow up here in Utah?
3: No. So I'm from New York originally. Oh, you are? Yes. What part of New York? Uh, it's called Newburgh. It's about an hour north of New York city off the Hudson river. Very cool. Very beautiful. Yeah. How did you end Bachelor. up in Utah? <laughs> uh, a couple things. So uh, I served a mission out here in Salt Lake, in Tooele, okay. which was a surprise. Okay. And then I went to Brigham Young University. That's where I got my degree. Okay. And then I married my wife. She was from Provo, so I joke that I'm stuck here. But I yeah. absolutely love Utah. Okay. It's okay. been awesome. All
1: right. Perfect. Um, and microbiology. How exactly does somebody choose microbiology? <laughs>
3: Uh, you know, I've just always been a fan of the life sciences. It's, it's a very hands-on uh, type uh, degree and career. I was originally thinking about going into medicine, but after some years of school, I decided I've done enough schooling. I'd like to <laughs> you know, start a family and, and get into the career field versus spending more time learning. Yeah. It's a
2: common narrative that you'll find with a lot of us. A lot of us started pre-med <laughs> yeah. and kudos to all those who yeah, continued that, and that did finished. medicine that yeah. finished, my sister being one of them. <laughs> but we got through enough school and we're like, okay, it's time to yeah. hit the ground running.
1: Is, are, is your degree microbiology as well? So
2: mine's biology, in, in chemistry, biology so just, and chemistry. Biology and chemistry.
1: Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, well, my economics comes in a lot, uh, very useful for, for product development. We use it
2: all the time. Yeah, all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, real useful. Um, okay, well, glad you're both here that we can have this conversation. Um, they're going to do the obviously the majority of this this presentation or this conversation. What and again, kind of reiterate what I said at the beginning. What we really want to do is give you kind of an inside view of what happens from from concepts. So we've got an idea for a product that we want. Uh, and then everything that we have to do all the way up to like launching the product. We've created a product and we're ready to bring it to market. So we're going to that's what we want to walk through. Um, a couple of things that we're going to that we're going to delay until the next episode is the various um, like clinical type study. Correct. Um yeah, RNA walking through se- that. Yeah, yeah walking sequencing. through that process.
2: How yeah. do we start from in vitro, so like you mentioned RNA sequencing, looking at gene expression, and then how do we work our way up to a product with a consumer? Kind of taking all those steps to ensure we have efficacy all along the way because we if something's not going to be efficacious, we want to rule it out pretty soon. So we take all those steps just to make sure that we're as we continue to create products, we are building that efficacy in there. Yeah. The beginning.
1: Yep. I should mention um, today, today it's going to be a little bit different. And anyways, you're going to start to see it as we, as we walk, as we walk through it. Uh, one thing that I failed to mention, if you're listening to this, tell me the, the email product, oh,
2: product questions at life
1: S is, is there an S at yes. the end? So product, product questions. questions at lifevantage.com. If, if you've got, you can email and send those questions to us. Those go directly to the product team. Uh, they're vetted there. And, and, and if, they can't be answered from the product team. Then it then it gets kicked over to Lisa and Christina, and they uh, they help answer those questions as well. So
2: yeah. So send any questions you have.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's let's get into this. Um, let's where we're going to start. The starting point is an idea has been formulated. Whether that came from the product team, whether it was a recommendation from the field, there was an idea of we need a product that does X, Y, or Z. Um, we create a draft and a brief and kind of put together a a basic concept, but then it really kicks over to Lisa and her team. Exactly. To start, to start like vetting it out and formulating. Um, And I think the first place you start is, okay, if that's the benefit that we're looking for, we need to find an ingredient or you're going to hear us use the word ingredient or material interchangeably, but you identify a material that will help deliver that type of benefit.
2: Correct. And before I go into that, so... Sometimes marketing brings us an idea, as you mentioned, sometimes the field brings us an idea, or sometimes we just find something, either the science or an ingredient that inspires us enough that we want, we feel like there should be a product around it. So we'll bring those ideas as well. But then there has to be that coming together with marketing, because even if an idea is cool, if it does not provide a benefit that the consumer actually needs then it's not, it doesn't need to be a product. So yeah. there does have to be that coming together of minds. But yes, as we kind of identify that there is a product and a consumer need for a product, we'll look in either in the literature and we'll see, oh, maybe what's been traditionally used for this benefit by other cultures. We have contacts throughout the industry. There are lots of companies that develop ingredients and they do tons of research on them. And so we've built up really great partnerships with a lot of these ingredient vendors. And we'll say, okay, we want something that does this and we want something unique. Will you partner with us on it? And they'll present data. They'll give us the full dossier, more information than you'll ever want to know about an ingredient. And we'll kind of sift through all of those. And then that's really where the art and the science of formulation come together, because we have all of these potential options that we can build into a formula. So we need to determine, okay, what do we think will be the most complementary? What do we think might have synergy? What will cover all of the claims that we're looking for? And then what amounts do they need to be in there to be efficacious? And there's a term that I always use for some formulations where people will what I call fairy dust ingredients Mm -hmm. in there just to put them on the label. And when we formulate, that's not what we do. If we put something in there, we want it to be able to have the benefit that we chose it for. We don't just want to sprinkle it in there. So that comes as part of it as well. So the right ingredients, the right combinations and the right amounts.
1: And, and I think it's important to understand what, well, yeah, just to reiterate what you said, an efficacious dose correct so th- those raw materials will connect with the raw material supplier uh, you'll vet out a number of options of potential potential ingredients or materials that could be used in the formula correct and and maybe just speak a little bit about the types of studies that are typically done on the individual ingredient because that's really how you're identifying what it actually what it actually does and maybe give an idea of the breadth of those studies how long do they last maybe the cost behind them to actually validate that an ingredient provides a specific a specific end result or benefit.
2: Yeah. So what these raw material vendors are will actually do is they will identify their materials. They'll run through a lot of times a lot of the safety work. So they're going to be which is quite a quite a bit of money uh-huh. um, behind that, because before you even try it in a human population, you need to make sure that it is safe. is safe and it is a correct level of usage. So there'll be some cell model studies where you're looking at toxicity and all those pieces to make sure that the material you're using is safe and also that the dosage they're using is safe. Once it is safe, then you need to determine, okay, what benefit does it have? And a lot of times they'll start in the in vitro model. And so then in-
1: maybe, maybe just explain what does in vitro mean?
2: Yeah, so in vitro is really just, it's outside of a living organism. So in vivo, you're doing it in a living organism. You're doing it a clinical trial in a human population. But in vitro is... Your cell studies, a lot of the gene expression or RNA sequencing that you may see come from us are in vitro. They're performed in a petri dish. Or so performed. it's
1: done in a lab correct. in a dish, Done in not, a lab and a Not a on any type of human organism or living organism.
2: Correct. Yeah. Correct. So they're just done on these cell lines. Um, and there's a lot of different cell lines you can test things on. It depends on what your target is. So they'll look at whatever benefit they're looking at. They'll test it in the correct cell line. A lot of times they'll look at, okay, what genes are being expressed? What benefit could this have? And they'll try different levels of the material to kind of hone in on what that efficacious dose is um, within the safe range of what has been already determined prior. And so then a lot of times, once they have this in vitro data, then they're saying, okay, now we need to try it in some other models. And so eventually it will get to a clinical study on humans and those studies, it depends on what your benefits looking for. Sometimes if you're looking for something quick and I'll go to the cosmetic side, if we're looking for hydration, for example, we'll put together a formula you don't wanna wait 12 weeks to see if you have hydration. You yeah. wanna put something on and have hydration. So a lot of those clinical studies will go very quickly on ingredients. Mm-hmm. They'll look to see if there's immediate one hour hydration or 24 hours. So that's very quick, more inexpensive. But if you have a anti-aging ingredient that will be working on your, minimizing the appearance of your wrinkles, it takes some time. So studies may go one month, two months, three months, and those can be hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on if you're getting photography, if you're having a dermatology dermatologist grade the skin and look at the different aspects. If you're taking measurements with instrumentation, every piece of that adds some cost to it, but also some benefits. So you have to weigh both of them, and so the raw material vendors will go through all those studies. And so when we look at the raw materials, they'll provide us a dossier and say, "Okay, we did this in vitro; it showed this, and then we've shown it in these this human clinical. It made the skin more radiant by forty five percent." And they'll show some pictures, and we'll say, "We'll see it. And we'll be like, okay." That's pretty impressive, and that puts it higher on our list.
1: So, uh, kind of in in a in a way, that in vitro test is is kind of the precursor, and so okay, we've got a th- this. There's an indication that this is doing something pretty significant, and then they'll move on to a. Uh, some type of an organism or a human trial. Correct. So it's kind of a
2: progression because, and also there's a progression in cost as well. So if you do your in vitro, it's a lot more cost efficient. So you're able to screen a lot more ingredients, a lot more percentages, and then it helps you to really hone in on what you want to test in your human population. The
1: other thing that I think is important to understand and and important for our our audience to realize is that those studies on the raw materials, um, you know, you alluded to that some of the studies last a month, two months, three months the other thing to understand is that as as new possible or potential benefits are identified with that material new studies begin yes. and and so there are some raw materials that we use that the raw material like it's been years mm-hmm. like and new studies are coming out on a regular basis as they're identifying additional benefits that those materials provide and exactly. so you know a perfect example is is our fat burn yeah, that we about. yeah we've talked about that a number of times but you know we introduced that product i don't know what it was i wasn't even here when we introduced it it was 5 Same. or 6 years ago Um, And it had, you know, there were studies done there, but from the time that we launched it until more recently, new studies were performed that gave us additional benefits, more compelling benefits. Exactly. Like it, uh, I guess what I, what I really want to communicate is that it doesn't stop, right? The study, the testing doesn't stop. It doesn't end. And we're constantly with our vendor partners, with the menu, uh, the raw material suppliers, constantly looking at. Are there additional benefits that are being provided or derived from these materials? And, and then how do we look in and, and quantify and validate
2: those? Correct, yeah. So Some of our best partners are and our favorite partners are those who are constantly striving for more. They have their material, they love it, they see the potential of it as new technology or new ideas come out around it. They're constantly running those studies like you mentioned, Jesse, and mm-hmm. we're getting new data. Like we've we've talked to a few lately and they're like, okay, we hear the clinicals we have now. We'll have another in two months. We'll have another in a year. Here's our pipeline of what's coming. Yeah. And that makes us incredibly excited because we know that we're gonna be able to bring you guys new research if we put this ingredient yeah. in there and expanded benefits. Mm. And kind of beyond what we get from the raw material supplier partners, so they'll provide us some data. A lot of times we do our own studies as well. If there's a specific gene target that we want to make sure that an ingredient targets, or if we really want to understand the mechanism of action for it, we'll do our own research and look at different cell lines. And we're like, oh, well, maybe what would this do in skin cells, or what mm-hmm. would this do in liver cells or kidney cells, and we'll do some exploration there to build yeah. upon that foundation that they've provided us. But it's wonderful having that foundation of research already done, yeah. so that we can springboard off of that and continue on. Yeah,
1: and and well, not that we need to talk about cost, but th- the reality is this this research that goes into these raw materials, I mean, it, we're, we're talking about hundreds of thousands up, you know, into the millions of dollars to study the, the efficacy of these ingredients. Where, where Adam does, um, does, does quality fit into that on the, um, on the raw material selection?
3: Yeah. So in addition to all these dossiers and things of their aspect, we want to do our own checks. And so we ask for a large set of documentation that shows these testings that were performed on their half. And then we also have our, uh, Vendor suppliers, our manufacturers, they're also performing testing on these raw materials to make sure that the identity is correct. It is what they say it is, that the potencies and efficacies on those are also confirmed before they even start blending them and putting them in a product to make sure that we are only using the materials that meet our criteria and our specifications to ensure, once again, that we're getting the finished product that does what we say it's going to do. Yeah,
1: I the, the great point, the the potency point mm-hmm. part, right? That you'll test the raw material to ensure that it it is what it is supposed to be, right? And that it, mm-hmm. and that it has that the potency level that that uh, that is expected in the finished good so that the finished good provides the benefit that, that that we're talking about or that we're intending to deliver to the consumer. Very cool. Okay. So raw material selection um, and we've identified key actives. And then, and then obviously there's all the other materials that go into the formula all to right. hold it together and to, to allow it to move through the machines as it's processed. Let's talk about, Um, the the formula development. So you've identified the key materials that that you want, and then then you're gonna put an actual formula together on paper. Correct. Walk us through that process a little bit.
2: Okay, so once we've chosen the ingredients that we find interesting to put together, we then start putting together a paper formula like you mentioned. There's a lot of things we need to consider. We have to consider what dosage form are we looking at? Is this gonna be a capsule? Is this going to be a liquid? Is this gonna be a gummy if we go that route? And then we have to think, okay, what are the solubilities of these different ingredients? Are they compatible with this form? Can it withstand heat if we have to heat up to a certain temperature? We need to make sure that our ingredients fit the form that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And so that's making sure that it fits the format. But then we also have to make sure it, all, a lot of it times it comes down to cost as well. We need to make sure that we can fit within the parameters of what a product is. Um, what our cost targets need to be because we want to make sure that we can develop a product that has the best benefits for a cost that makes sense for you as the consumer.
1: That, that's that's the guardrails that none of us in development like right it'd be those so stuff. much fun if we had all the money
2: in the world <laughs> yeah, but we yeah. want to make sure you can actually buy it yeah. so
1: you <laughs> make sure that it's affordable by the time we're done
2: it lends itself to creativity that's how we approach it we have those guardrails and it makes us be even more creative okay
1: that's good spin right that's a good glass good, way, half good, full. good way to say that glass half full okay um one of the things that 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 is fascinating I don't know that fascinating is the right word, but you put that formula, that paper formula together and then and we probably should have had um, someone from our regulatory department here. But you can speak to this for us. Um, Paper formulas put together. So all of the raw materials that are in the formula are identified. But then there is this massive amount of of documentation Mm -hmm. gathering to support each and every one of those raw materials. Like speak to that a little bit.
2: Yes, it's quite a bit. And a lot of times we'll even start some of that before we build a product just because there is so much documentation to gather. If we're interested in a raw material, we start partnering with regulatory and we give them a little ping and say, "Okay, we really want to use this. Can you start looking at it? And so they gather things from what is the composition of the ingredient? Um, how is it produced? What is the source of it? What is the regulatory environment of the ingredient? Is it acceptable in Australia, Canada, all our different markets? Yep. And so it's for each product, there's 15 plus different, ingre- different document types that we are gathering that are then they pour over each and every one of them to make sure that the product meets our standards and the standards of the different regulatory bodies in the yeah. markets that we sell our products in. Which. It, it, it's like, so much documentation. Yeah,
1: like we're we're saying so much documentation, and and I don't know how to convey that. I mean, we're talking in for some for a single product, the documentation behind that. I mean, we're talking hundreds of mm-hmm. of, of documents, hundreds of documents to 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 support all of that. And then to your point, that dossier is put together and then sent quite often to consultants outside of the country or into our our international and foreign markets. And they're looking at, I mean, minuscule details, every possible detail. How is that raw material? How is it mined? How is it extracted? How like what materials are used in the extraction process? And that's the one thing that makes like international so complicated is sometimes the raw material itself may be approved, but the the material that's used to extract it and formulate it is not approved, which exactly. which disqualifies that raw material. Correct,
2: and so then we have to go back to the drawing board. A yeah, little
3: bit. It, go ahead, Adam. Oh, and I was just even even the source of is it the leaf? Is it the stem? Is oh, it the yes. root? You know, what part of the plant mm-hmm. did it come from? Yeah, and then like you said, then on top of that is the extraction process and what you know solvents or things were used and are those acceptable? And so yeah, I mean minute minute details that they are reviewing to ensure everything yeah
1: and i want to make sure we're not complaining about that right that's exactly how it should be to ensure that we're delivering the right product right and we're delivering Mm -hmm. it a, a safe product that is that that is that is efficacious and and of the utmost and highest highest quality i love that you pointed out the fact that because obviously there's there's a number of in in our formulas a number of botanicals and plant materials, mm-hmm. but that we have to identify. Is it the root? Is it the stem? Exactly. Is it the leaf? Like
2: because it matters. Yeah, because
1: like you know, in, in a in a very simplified way, you just kind of think, well, a plant is a plant is a plant. Like, does it matter? And it and it does, right? It very much mm-hmm. does. Does it matters where where what part of the plant it's coming from.
2: But it's why R&D and regulatory end up being like this, the whole development (laughs) process, because it's a give and take back and forth. They ask questions. We help them get answers. We ideate another uh, another part of the plant or another ingredient, and we go back and forth in this process until we land on something that works. Yeah, within our confines. So
1: we've we've got to the point that we've we've got a formula. It's on paper. We've got all of the documentation. At the same time that that's happening, Adam, you and like our operations team are on in parallel, are working with contract manufacturers to identify and and. Identify someone that can actually build the formula for us and make make a finished product. Talk to us a little bit about that that process and how you select a vendor and the audits that they go through <laughs> and what you're looking for in an audit and right. what you require of them. Um, not
3: yeah. Yeah. So we, we don't just go to anybody that says they can do it. Obviously, the first step, not all manufacturers can make all delivery formats. You know, not everyone can make a gummy and a pill and a liquid. And so we have to first determine which ones have a reputable name that can produce that type of uh, format. And then from that point, we'll start with their general certifications. There's some higher certifications um, like NSF, SQF, depending and so we like to see those. But on top of that, we always want to put our eyes on everything. We don't rely on just, oh, they passed this other audit, and so we're good with it. It's a, it's a great addition to what we do. But uh, me and the ops team will go on-site, physically inspect uh, these facilities. And we're inspecting everything from the facility itself, the the overall condition, the cleanliness, the layout, uh, the capabilities, in addition to then all of the, the paperwork and the record keeping and how do they clean and sanitize the machines, how do they prevent uh, cross-contamination, whether with other materials, products or allergens, you know, which can be a very serious type thing. And so we go on site and we perform these audits and, and we try to do them efficiently, but we'll stay as long as it takes to be able to make a decision. Now, just because we invested the time to go out there and look at these and we have a relationship, we are not afraid to um, refuse to use their services if they don't meet our criteria. In fact, we've had that happen before where we've looked and said, hey, this isn't up to par. We, we can't use you until you meet these criteria. And, and the criteria we're looking at is our uh, 21 CFR 111 and the GMPs. And so there's a lot of regulations requirements in there from how they clean, how they record keep, um, how they train people, all of that sort of thing. And so we look at all of those. We have a huge checklist. We have multiple people that we look, we'll ask the questions. And then at the end we decide, okay, do we feel comfortable using them? Because in the end, we want to make sure that we produce a safe and effective product that we can pass on to the consumer. And so that's really what we're looking for is can they, can they produce a product that we're proud of and we'll put our name on. And so we do that. And then once we're done with that and we've approved them, we don't stop there. We actually do follow-up surveillance audits uh, every so often, depending on um, their performance, uh, their their quality reports, any issues that might have come up, and just a general time frame. And so we will actually go back every so often and perform a surveillance audit to make sure things haven't changed. They didn't, you know, pull the curtain over our eyes when they when we were there the first time, and that they are doing as they say they will.
1: Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I, I, I wish everybody could have the visibility of, of like a contract manufacturer and actually going into a facility. And it's it, it can be overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, right, if you just stop to think about it for a minute, like one, you're talking about a massive space, um, you know, sometimes 100,000, 200,000 square feet uh, of, of, you know, warehousing and, and manufacturing space so big. And you see these racks, and there are literally just hundreds mm-hmm. of raw materials. And in ev- in you know that every one of those has to be inspected. It has to be verified. It has to be qualified. But then it has to be tracked, right? Like they need to know mm-hmm. exactly where the material is in the warehouse. Uh, and and it, the status. And the, the old- status of it. Is it? Is it a year old? Is it two years old? Does it need to be like discarded? Was it
3: just received? Is it currently on testing? Has it been released from testing? Is it still within the expiration date? Is it, and even the storage, they have to properly store Mm -hmm. things as certifications. If it's an allergen, if it's a kosher or a halal, if it's organic, they have to Mm -hmm. store it in certain ones. They have to refrigerate and freeze certain products. And so they have to then monitor the temperatures and have alerts that if the temperature goes too high or low, they have an alert, so they can correct it and yeah. and follow up. And so, yeah, you, you think, oh yeah, it's just in a warehouse, but no, there, there's so many extra things so to do, things. and they and they have to they have to have clear
1: processes, SOPs you know, a, a system to be able to catalog and track all of that and mm-hmm. manage all of that. And that's raw materials. And then <clears throat> throw on top of that, they're dealing with labels and artwork. Packaging. That, packaging that. And and those are typically behind, you know, gated lock and key. A label comes in. It is it is in a secure location. and But then they have to figure out, OK, we're running this product. It's the same product, but now it's going to a different country. It needs a different label and they have to be able to identify all of that and switch things mm-hmm. out and make sure that they've got, you know, they've cleared the line and they've got the right label and all of that has, there has to be an SOP for all of that. And Perfect. that's, that's just yeah. getting it into the warehouse. We're going to talk about manufacturing a little bit, which adds a whole another <laughs> level of complexity. Anything else that during those audits that you're, you know, I know you're looking at when, when, when we're working with vendors that are overseas, we're looking at like, Child labor and 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 those types of things maybe into yeah, s- that just a little so bit. So
3: even if we're using international manufacturers, we still hold them to the standards and the regulations that we have uh, here. And so we're looking at child labor and fair labor and working hours, working conditions, uh, employee safety. You know, are the, mm-hmm. are the conditions safe there for their employees? And so th- there's really no limit to to mm-hmm. what we look at. And so when we do an audit, we follow the process. So we have them start with their warehouse and how they receive the raw materials. And then from there, how does it go to blending or preway? And then from there, how does it go to the manufacturing? And then how does it go to packaging and shipping? And so we actually visually see the entire process go through. And at that time, we're looking to see if they're following SOPs. We're looking at the lights and the ceilings to make sure that they're using uh, shatterproof glass and light cover so that there's no potential there. We're making sure that proper GMPs are followed with Gloves and uh, shoe covers or dedicated footwear. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at how the product is handled. Is there any chance that there's cross contamination or mislabeling? And we make sure that they have the processes, as you say, written and clear, so that our product is our product and another company's product is their product, and there's no chance of of any mishaps. Yeah, I love the fact.
1: Uh, I think. I mean, personally, right? This is just a personal thing. It brings a lot of satisfaction that we hold them to a certain standard as far as how they treat their employees. Mm-hmm. Right. And if they're not good working conditions, it's not a good environment, their employees aren't safe. Um, then we don't, we don't use them. And, and I think that's, I think that's wonderful. I think it, it's exactly how it should be. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've got a paper formula. Yes. We're, we're confident. We're excited. We've got a manufacturer. Now we're I also need, confident and excited. Confident and excited. Thank you. Yeah, well, there's no su- just, suspicion. Just, just there. keeping this narrative going. I appreciate that. Yeah. Keep me on track. Um, now it's time to like, we don't just go into production, right? Correct. There is a process that we need to that we need to go through. So let's let's talk about that a little bit.
2: Yes, because it is very step by step. And it's all to make sure that we are proper properly scaling up a product to reduce risk and so that we're able to create a product that's efficacious and stable. So first, what we'll start with is we'll give the paper formula to the manufacturer and they're gonna produce what we call a bench top. And that means on the lab scale, they're gonna make a small scale batch just to see feasibility, get a feel for the product. How do these ingredients work together and kind of catch any snafus early on? Is there something that we didn't think about when we wrote the formula that makes these ingredients not compatible? Is something precipitating out then we can make some adjustments there, but if everything's great there, we, a lot of times will do some initial stability work, especially on the cosmetic side, just to make sure, okay, if we add heat to this, if we, um, freeze it, how will this formula behave?
1: Yet yeah, t- talk about that a little bit. Cause we're, we, everybody that's listening knows what the word stability means, Yes. <laughs> but what does it mean for a formula and yes. what, what happens when a formula is unstable? <laughs>
2: seen lots of those. Yeah. Um, so what essentially there are, they're what's called stability chambers and they are set at different conditions. So we always keep one at room temperature because that's what normally the products should be stored at, but we know it's gonna be transported. People are gonna leave it in their car, like things are gonna happen. Yeah. So we put it higher temperatures as well. Think in Celsius, so 40 degrees Celsius, 50 degrees Celsius. And then we also bring it down to freezing because we're also going to be shipping during winter. Yep. So we want to make sure that nothing's going to happen. And so, and we the,
3: increase the humidity as well correct. for that process. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so if we're in different states or countries what with more humidity as well. Yeah, exactly. Singapore, some of those with just tons of humidity. humidity. We want to make sure that nothing's happening to them as they're in the consumer's home. And so what they'll then do is they'll put them in those chambers for a certain amount of time um, and usually test test them out at about a monthly interval. And they're going to be looking at the characteristics. They're going to look at the... um, the odor of it. They're going to look at the appearance of it. If it's a cream, they're going to look at the thickness of it. They're going to look at the pH. So if it's acidic or if it's basic, is it moving over time? Is it remaining at a safe range? Mm -hmm. They're looking at all the different to make sure that you have the same product at the beginning that you do at the end. You don't want to have a significant shift there. And so we want to test that early on if possible, just to make sure that we don't get too far along the process with an unstable product. And that could look like things clumping together. It could look like um, a powder coming out of a liquid and a drink. It could mm-hmm. look like oil coming out of a cream.
1: Well, yeah, it- for an emulsion or a liquid-based or a cream-based oh, yeah. cream product, they can literally, they literally can like fall apart. Mm-hmm. They just yes, separate out. things Everything separates yep. and, and it's just kind of a mess of stuff.
2: It's very true. So, and that's what happens a lot on the bench is we go through iterations to, okay, so that didn't work. So let's increase this or let's change this processing parameter. Let's put more energy here to solve those problems. And that's the fun creative process of actual like bench formulation work. Another thing that we do, so we do stability and all the different temperatures and conditions. We look at all of the parameters of the formula. So um, it color, odor, what it looks like, um, let's see how thick it is, pH, all of that. Um, but we also look at micro at that point. So if something, if a product has water in it, so if it's a liquid or if it's a cream or lotion, it has the potential to grow microbes. And so we have to, as part of our development, make sure that the product is clean and also make sure that it doesn't have the potential to, if it is potentially contaminated, it is able to resist it and be safe.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good point, right? Because contamination is not going to be eliminated especially if it's a if it's a cream where you're touch yeah if it's a jar and you're putting your finger in it and then and then and then closing it right all you've done is introduced a potential for contamination and the formula has to protect itself it's be
2: really robust so we actually yeah. torture test it yeah so we do something called preser- preservative efficacy testing or pet where we actually introduce multiple types of organisms into the product yep. and incubate them and give them their best chance to grow and then we see what happens over time. And so we don't want to see them growing. Yeah, We want to see them eliminated. Yeah.
3: Not only do we not want to see them grow, they actually have to have a certain level of die off yep. within a certain time period to prove to be effective. Okay. And so they'll inoculate it with a known quantity, usually in the millions. And then over a certain amount of time, it has to be reduced by a certain number of log reductions for it to be deemed effective and approved and yeah to move forward with and,
1: it. And we accomplish that by having a Preservation system in the formula, and sometimes correct. it's the formula itself, the pH level, and correct of the formula. There are different
2: things you can do to yeah. yeah it could be pH. It could be how it's processed. It yeah. could be water activity. Water activity. So if it's anhydrous, we can. I okay. mean, doesn't really, the microbes don't really have anything to grow on. We use certain preservatives for certain forms. For example, if we're using a jar, there's a lot of what we call head space in a jar. So it's kind of there, they're the place where you put your finger into the cream on the top of the jar. Yep. So we make sure that the preservatives actually kind of stay on the surface of the formula. So that as people stick their mm-hmm. fingers in that hopefully are clean, but not are always are, sure. that they're the preservatives are working right at the start yeah. to Kind of fight off anything. So essentially, you have
1: to take into account multiple scenarios and, and really worst case scenario, exactly. and then ensure that the formula will stand up against that that scenario. Correct. Any any additional testing from the quality stand quality side that you're doing during that bench top or or pilot? Um? Um,
3: yeah. So in addition to uh, the PET testing, uh, we'll also do depending on the type of product. If it's a cosmetic, we'll do a Ript testing which is a a safety test to see what kind of reactions when you put it on your skin. Is it causing any sort of reactions? Is it safe? Is it okay? And so for the cosmetics we will also at the same time be doing that sort of testing. Once again, it's, it's another level of a safety test to ensure that we're giving our uh, customers the best products. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And essentially what that is, is they actually, they put the product on a part of your skin and then cover it with a patch. Because if you cover a product with a patch, it keeps it from evaporating off. It keeps it from being rubbed off. It really can drive it into the skin. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, once again, worst case scenario. And they'll do this multiple times over the course of the test. That's the R, it's repeat insult patch testing. So what they're trying to see is the more times you're exposed to it and have the formula driven into your skin by this patch, are you gonna develop any sort of sensitivities Mm -hmm. to it? So we don't wanna just see if it's going to be sensitizing the first time we want to see if over the course of using it over a certain amount of time will it develop or will you develop a reaction to it and if we see anything then that's a flag to go back cuz there's something in the formula that's yeah. not compatible with human skin
1: yeah and um and i think right in full transparency We see that occasionally and and it's, you know, it doesn't. Which it means the process
2: is working. Yeah. Because if everything could pass, that means it's not robust enough. Yeah. So we want to see, I mean, I don't want to see my formulas fail. I'm okay (laughs) with other people's formulas failing and testing that system and that ours is good. No, but we want to see things challenging it and being like, okay, let's go back to the drawing board and let's. But it's just part of the process. Exactly. It's iteration. We always, that's why we have these testing points because at any point, we are comfortable enough saying, okay, we weren't happy with the testing results. Let's go back and make it better, and then we're going to retest it. It's a cycle, yeah. and that's part of just making sure you have quality product development.
1: Yeah, and then we get into the to this, you know, the a pilot and the scale up. Scale up, meaning we're going from, and it really it's verifying that, the you know, you qualified the manufacturer that they can actually do it. And now we're going through a process to ensure that they can get it into full scale production. Mm-hmm. So we're starting with a, a small kettle, right? And then getting larger, progressively larger. Exactly. Until they're, to, you know, a kettle size that will that, that will uh, accommodate a full production run of, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of finished mm-hmm. goods. Um, because it, it, it changes right oh, right yeah. from from the process to make it on, on a table to making it into a, a you know a, a 500 gallon vat that's completely different
2: exactly yeah when i used to be on the bench i would make things that were maybe 200 grams so it'd fit in a little small beaker i'd have a little mixer and a little hot plate on the bench and work through it on that end and then on full scale production um one of my first companies we would make batches that were twelve thousand kilograms so these were huge kettles massive tanks, massive tanks. and you just can't have the same amount of energy in that little kettle that little beaker that you do in that big kettle. The mixing setup's not the same. And so if you go straight from the beaker to the kettle, the humongous kettle, you can be successful, but the chances of failure are much higher. And so that's why we introduced this pilot step because we're scaling up bit by bit to make sure that we're appropriately preserving the product's characteristics through the different process steps. So we usually will do something, for example, on the cosmetic side, we'll do maybe a hundred kilogram pilot. So it's in a small kettle, but usually it's very similar setup to these large humongous ones. Mm -hmm. Same mixing setup, same heating setup, so we can catch any processing issues Early yeah. on a smaller scale before we start working to sell and scale up the product. Well, yeah. and it's
3: it's important to know too that as they're doing this both from the bench top to the pilot and on, they're not just throwing everything in and mixing it. There's a certain order that the mm-hmm. ingredients have to be mixed to make sure that you know if, if you have uh, you know hydrophobic and and other ones that they're emulsifiers, they're all going in the right one. You have to make sure that the heat is appropriately applied at the right temperatures and that that's being monitored. So it's not just oh, I got my my flour, my sugar, my eggs, just throw it and mix it. They have to do it in specific orders. And during this process, when they find out, hey, this one didn't mix so well, there's still some participant. Maybe we can do it in this order, apply more heat or, and so it's, once again, it's still part of the the learning process, the mm-hmm. development process of getting that best product out there. Yeah. Exactly.
2: That's why we don't sell those pilot batches. That gives us the freedom to be able to improve processes. Yeah. For example, last week I was just in one of our manufacturing partners <coughs> and we were doing this pilot and we're in there. We're looking at the entire process the whole time. We're looking in the kettle. We're looking at the blades and making sure there's no lumps in the product. And we're giving suggestions the whole time time and then they incorporate our suggestions into the final batch record because i actually received one today that i was making sure that they incorporated my comments in there so that when they scale up they can be more successful so it's really more it's still part of that development process and making sure that we have the most optimized process to create our product
1: yeah okay um so we've gone through scale up now it's time to build a product, right? We're going to go into full production and, and, you know, full production typically means we're going to produce, you know, 25,000 units or more, or sometimes depending on the product and the demand of the product, a hundred thousand units or, or, or even more. Um, Adam, the, like help us understand, like raw materials come into that manufacturer. Um, what happens, what do they do with each raw material? before it even makes it to the production line to, to start manufacturing?
3: Yeah, so the, the second it's received in the dock, it'll be put on a hold or quarantine status so that it can't be used. Um, sometimes that's physical, sometimes it's electronic, but they'll have a system to prevent it from being accidentally used. At that point, they'll take samples of every individual one, they'll use new or clean uh, scoops for each one so there's no contamination, and they'll send that to the lab, whether it's their internal lab or an external lab, to ensure the identity and potency, uh, heavy metals, that once again, it meets the spec, that it's a good material, it is what it is, and it'll give us that finished product. Um, So once they get those testing back, they'll change that status to uh, an approved, an off-hold green sticker uh, to use Then that usually is also stored in a separate part of the warehouse, once again, to avoid that uh, ability to accidentally use something. From that point, they'll bring it into a pre-way room. And from there, they'll have our formula, they'll know exactly how much of each one to weigh out. They won't bring in more than open one more material at a time. Once again, you don't have multiple things opened and they'll have more than one person verifying the material identity as well as the weight. So it's not just one person. Oh yeah, that was 200 kilograms. Nope. It was 200.06. And yep, I saw that with you. I double reviewed it. Um, So that's the next step. And then from that point, It'll be brought over to the production area where all the blending, the mixing of them, putting together, following the specific work orders will happen to that stage until it gets a point that it's ready to be bottled or put in the sachets or whatever whatever the that, that final packaging is.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's that's important to understand that during that right, and this is all based on a stand an SOP or operating procedure that. Uh, that way out portion, right? it's one material at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's always at least two people yes. that they've identified. This is the right material and this is the weight.
2: And they'll also look at, and this material needs to be mixed before it's weighed. There's special yeah. instructions as well, just yeah. to make sure that first, if something settles out <laughs> as a material, they'll stir it before they or weigh it. Or does it does or need like
3: to that. be protected from light, yes. oxygen or heat? Because yeah. we do have some photosensitive type things that, they need to have, you know, covered in tin foil or an amber glass because the light can break down uh, some of the vitamins or nutrients in it. And so yeah. they're monitoring that and then when it's in the blending period, they also have in-process checks. So they'll if there's temperature checks that need to be done or pH checks or viscosity during that step, they're going to be checking all of that to once again make sure every step of the way it is meeting the specifications that we've established
2: double signatures again yeah maybe just
1: you mentioned one thing and i think it's important that to 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 reiterate this the testing that is done on the raw materials you mentioned heavy metals um tell us everything that we're looking at on the raw material before it even goes into production
3: yeah so at a very very minimum it's identity. Now, identity can either be an actual ID test or it can be uh, a vitamin test to prove that it has that potency in that. Most of the time, they're doing multiple tests. Um, heavy metals is, are things like uh, arsenic, lead, mercury, cadmium. Uh, we test those to one of the tightest limits out there, which is the California Prop 65 limits. And so we make sure that that finished product is suitable, suitable to be sold in California, as well as our other uh, countries and markets. Mm-hmm. And so these raw materials are tested for everything, micro, uh, physicals, once again, if it's a flavor, we wanna make sure that it has the right flavor profile, uh, colorant, um, and so it's really tested for an entire gambit of things to once again, make sure that your your product is as good as the things you're putting into it. And so mm-hmm. we wanna make sure from the very start, we're putting in the best. Yeah. That's perfect. Um,
1: now, now maybe Adam, if you could speak to a little bit. Um, it's in production, right? What are what are from a quality standpoint? What are we looking at during actual production and manufacturing of a of a product?
3: Yeah, so during production, they're going to be looking at everything depending once again on the product you know is it a liquid is it a, a cream a tablet but they're going to be monitoring temperatures if there's any temperature controls they're going to be monitoring uh, any foreign uh, contaminants such as um, you know metal or glass or things like that and so they once again they have sops they'll have magnets they'll have x-ray machines that they can look to make sure that during this process nothing has physically contaminated it um, they're going to be reviewing fill counts, fill weights, to make sure that if it's a 30 count bottle, there's 30 pills in there. If it's a 50 ml uh, liquid, there's at least 50 mls in there so that all all the dosing and um, weights are correct. Uh, They'll also be checking kind of visual, so they will make sure if it has a seal, that the seal is proper, that the lids are on, the label is correct, the, the lot number is identifiable with the expiration date. And so there are a lot of checks that they perform on a, a specified amount of frequency of time, whether it's 15 minutes, 30 or an hour, they're checking all of these different things throughout the process on multiple bottles to ensure that once again, it, it's meeting all of our requirements.
1: And, and you mentioned when we were talking about like the audit that you do, or um, when we, we talked about that earlier in the conversation, <clears throat> you're looking at, what are their what are their processes and procedures for line clearance, for cleaning? And and so so line clearance, what we mean is that there was a there was a product on the line that was being manufactured before ours. It may have been our product, but it was a different product. Mm-hmm. And how do they clear not just the line, but how do they clear the line? How do they clear the production area? How do they remove every Everything so that there is no possibility of cross contamination or getting,
3: right. getting,
1: yeah, things. getting that like a nerve mm. tube caplet inside of a <laughs> NAD bottle or mm. something like that. Like all of that is cleared cleared out.
3: Yeah. And so you mentioned SOP before, which is a standard operating procedure. It's a procedure that they have. And and in in this world that we're in, we like to say that if you don't write it down, it didn't happen. You can't prove it. Mm -hmm. And so they'll have this process and it'll have an entire checklist of was all the product removed? Were all the bottles removed? Were all the labels? In addition to that, they also have reconciliation where they're going to be responsible for Okay, you brought in 5,000 labels, you're bringing back 3,000. What happened to the other two? How many were put on a bottle? How many were scrapped? How many were used for a batch record sample? And so they're monitoring where everything goes. Mm -hmm. And so they'll have this checklist to make sure that everything was removed. And then they'll also have a checklist to decide if a cleaning needs to take place. You know, if it was the same product but different country, They're not going to need to re-clean all the areas but if it's a different product they're going to have to go through the whole cleaning sanitation process which once again they will then test they have quick test atp uh, tpc type modules that they'll swab different areas and they'll have to get a passing result or they'll have to clean again and if there's the potential of an allergen they'll additionally do an allergen test to once again prove that the cleaning was effective and validated and good to go yeah
1: and that 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 cleaning process obviously different from a a capsule or a pill versus like a liquid like our collagen or a, or Correct. one of our uh, True Science skincare products, but nonetheless, there's still a cleaning process to clean the entire line, get everything out, uh, testing for any bacteria or residue that may remain, and then how they clean it again. And mm-hmm. yeah, <clears throat> okay. So product has been manufactured right it's it's there it's in a box it's got the label it's in the bottle it's it, everything is done raw material you mentioned right when the raw material arrives at the warehouse it goes into quarantine until it's until it's uh, approved mm-hmm. for you know verified for use same thing with the product right that product is is put on quarantine until we have validated the safety and everything talk to us about that validation what are the different tests and steps we go through to ensure that now that we've got a, we're, we're holding the product in hand, but we're not we're not going to send it out until we've done what?
3: Right, and so we mm. actually do a <coughs> lot of repeat testing just to make sure that we are are meeting everything. So our contract manufacturers they will perform uh, finish good testing, both uh, AQLs visually, making sure the seals, the labels, the lot numbers is all correct, the fill amounts or weights are correct, then. We have it on hold when we get it as well in our warehouse. We, once again, will go out and we will do a visual inspection to make sure everything's good, the labels, the seals, the counts. Uh, It it is what it is. But in addition to that, not only is the contract manufacturer uh, doing uh, lab testing, which is your chemistry and micro and physicals, we also utilize uh, independent uh, ISO approved and US approved audited labs where once again, we're going to test to make sure micro, we don't want any micro that's gonna be of any sort of harm. We're gonna test for the heavy metal contaminants, once again, to make sure that there's no harm to you. Then we're also going to test for our label claims. If it has amounts of vitamin C's or B's, whatever the vitamin is or protein, we're testing to make sure that those meet the label claim specified on there. Um, And if it doesn't, we will reject it. We will tell the contract manufacturer, hey, there was an issue. They'll do an investigation, and we will only accept the product that meets our specifications and our label claim. Yeah,
1: it's fantastic. Um, you, you said uh, you said something, and I there was there was a point. Anyways, I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, Anyways, that that and then it and then it's eventually removed from quarantine. And we can actually right ship. once we
3: have the passing results, the passing inspection, uh-huh. which once again we're documenting everything. We have these records. Then we'll go ahead and we'll give the warehouse, hey, you can now release this. It's okay to be shipped to our uh, consumers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and all of that, right? I mean that that is a, a mass that we've kind of gone through everything. Right? That's a lot of work. A lot of time that goes into all of that, all to ensure that, you know, if I, if I use Nerve 2 as an example, right, we have this claim of reduces oxidative stress by an average of 40% in 30 days. We can say that because of everything that you guys have just walked through. And, and we, we validate that multiple points throughout the entire process to ensure that we can make those same claims over and over and over again,
2: right? That reproducibility. Yeah. yeah say that again. Reproducibility. Reproducibility. We want it to be the same product every time. Because, for example, with Nerf Two, we've done the studies on a certain amount of the materials that it was, and it was standardized to certain compounds. Uh-huh. So we created the formula based on that, and yep. it's been validated over and over and over again as far as studies. But then yeah. we want to make sure that the product you get is that exact same product, so you can trust those benefits, and that's where the quality comes in.
1: Yeah, and if you if you think about it for just a minute, right, and step back and think about it. You've got raw materials coming from all over the world. You've got all of these. the The opportunity for error is so massive.
2: That's why you have all the checks and balances. Yeah,
1: and yet we're able to we're able to consistently deliver the same the same product over and over and over. And I used Nerf 2 as an example, but the, the the same comment could have been made about about any of our products because we take the same approach, the same care with with every single product in the in the product line. Okay, so, so we've got the finished product where like th- this was fascinating. I don't know about you guys, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> like I find this fascinating. I've been I've been doing this for 20 plus years and I think I even learned something in this conversation, but like I love going into into the warehouse. I love going into the manufacturing facility That's and watching fun. it happen. It is fun. It's
2: really fun. Yeah,
1: it's fun and it's just it's it it it's sometimes it's overwhelming. It's kind of mind boggling how big it is and how much is going on and what's happening and the fact that we can, I don't know what the word was that you said. can
2: reproduce, but I said reproducibility. Is that a word? It is a word. It
1: is now. Reproducibility, it is now. Yeah, Lisa's gonna own it. Over and over and over again. Um, Okay, well you guys, this has been fantastic. Um, Lisa knows that I always, at the end of every conversation, it's always,
2: I didn't warn you, I'm sorry. (laughs) What,
1: what, what else? Like what, what did you not have the opportunity to say that you wanted to say, or, or what do you think would be important for the audience to hear about maybe your, your,
3: your specific responsibility Mm -hmm. and what you're doing that we didn't get a touch on? Um, we, we don't assume or take anything for granted. We really go through that system of, of checks and balances to make sure that everything is exactly what it is. Um, we hold our contract manufacturers liable and and ourselves are liable. you know we do we are regulated by the FDA and other ones and so we make sure that everything is done by the book and that we have the correct records and um, you know and, and it's not just because we have to, but honestly, it, it's something that I enjoy. I enjoy going in and making sure that, we're able to provide these, these awesome products because we have great partners with it. Our labs and our contract m- manufacturers, we have great relationships with them and we can continue to build our brand because we have such good faith and trust in them. And because we do these things like the audits and the paperwork and the dossiers, and we're all just working together to get these products out. And it's it's really actually a pretty fun experience.
1: It is a fun experience. And you just said lab, which reminded me of what I wanted to, to point out a minute ago with <laughs> at the end of your comment. It's it's once we've got a finished good and it's on quarantine and it's got to be tested to ensure everything, it meets all the requirements. It's a third party lab that's doing that. It's not the contract manufacturer. It's not even us. It's somebody else that we, a third party so that there is, there's no bias. Yeah, There's like,
3: no bias. There's no conflict of interest. And these labs are vetted. And when I said ISO, um, certified, what that means is they actually undergo proficiency testing. And so a bunch of different labs that are all trying to get this accreditation or that have it, they'll all get a same sample sent and they have to run the sample on their machine and report their results. And they have to be within a certain standard of deviation to be considered approved and acceptable. So it's not even just Oh, yeah, they could have, have good record keepers. They've shown that they can recover these vitamins, minerals, micros, heavy metals at the an acceptable rate and range to get that ISO certification. So, I mean, these are well-vetted labs that know what they're doing, and we can really trust their results.
1: We have confidence in them. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. All right, Lisa, what did you not get to say <laughs> that you wanted to say?
2: Hmm. Well, what I wanted to say that I haven't <laughs> said yet, I'm going to talk about next time. Okay. So you'll just have to come yeah. back. Because really, the other part that goes along with the quality is the efficacy piece. Because yeah. if we make a nice quality product, but we don't prove that it does what we say it does, yeah. it's it, that's only half of the equation. And so I'm going to leave it to next time to dig into that. But that's also just as fun as making sure that you have a product you can make the same over and over again, and that it's a product you can trust, and it's stable and safe making sure it does what it can do is also the fun part
1: yeah all of the the scientific validation the clinicals the the different trials that we do we're going to continue this conversation but we're going to really hone in on really during that development process how we are, are confident that the tests that we do to to create the confidence that we know a product will deliver the benefits that we intend for it to deliver.
2: Yes, When we'll, we'll yeah. bring. Uh, I'm going to ask Christina to come on. I'm not going to say she's going to be on. Yeah, I've asked her yet, so I yeah. won't be that boss. But the enough. Plan is to bring her on, and then you're going to see how excited people can get about cell studies. It's it's too excited, but can it can it be too excited though? I, I don't no, think it can.
1: no. You'll see like, an
2: appropriate level of enthusiasm yes. for cell studies. Yes. I will promise that.
1: Yeah. So with that, thank you so much for being with us tonight. The content has been fantastic. And you two, I can't thank you enough. This was wonderful. This was very, very enlightening. Jeff is behind the camera. He's nodding his head in agreement that this was fantastic. (laughs) Jeff approved. Yeah, Jeff Jeff approved. Jeff approved. (laughs) (laughs) What would Jeff approve? This is what he would approve. <laughs> it's it's perfect. So anyways, uh, Adam, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, it's such a fantastic addition to the team and we are so grateful that you are here. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. Yeah, thank you. And 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 Lisa, you're already part of the team, but we're grateful that you are here. Yes. Uh, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> so grateful that you're here. Again, uh, to each of you, thanks for joining us this evening. We hope that the time was well spent and that it was valuable. And again, if you have questions or comments, email us at productquestions. With, with an us. S at the end at LifeVantage.com. Have a wonderful evening and we will, we will see you soon.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Activation Nation podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Tell your friends and share your biggest takeaways from today's discussion with anyone who could benefit from them. This episode is sponsored by LifeVantage Legacy, a nonprofit dedicated to improving lives and building a lasting impact for those in need around the world learn more at lifevantage.com. We look forward to sharing more with you during next week's conversation. Thanks for listening and being an important part of the LifeVantage community.